Welcome to Scholars in the Spotlight, the show where you get to hear first-hand insights, tips and tricks from students that won this year's WWDC Scholarship. Joining us today, we have a 19-year-old student from Romania, two times winner of the scholarship, developer of Simon Ross, winner of the 2020 Swift Student Challenge. Please welcome Alexandru Turkenu. Welcome, Alex. Hey. And thank you for being here with me today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great. Why don't we start talking about your submission, Simon's Draws? Okay, so last year I made a playground that was called Simon Draws. And my original idea came from a game that I used to play in my childhood that usually goes by the term Simon Says, which is basically one person says a sequence of words, and then the other person has to repeat that the words in the same exact order, and you keep playing keep playing and each round there's a new word added to the sequence and once you get the sequence wrong in the wrong order you lose and i tried to take the same idea but i sort of my own spin and what i did is that the game is the concept of the game is more or less similar but instead it's based on icons and then you have to draw those icons the same way they are presented to you oh that sounds so cool so this game is heavily based on machine learning, right? Yeah, so what I've done is that when people draw, make drawings, everybody has their own little works on how they draw like a little rectangle or maybe a symbol or airplane, whatever. So what I've done is that at the beginning of the playground, uh, there's this persona or bot called Simon that introduces the game to you, explains how, how you're supposed to play it, and then you have to pick a series of icons, which are SF symbols. And after you choose with what symbols you want to play, Simon is, Simon is going to tell you to draw each symbol three times. And here what I'm doing is that I'm leveraging Core ML and on-device machine learning capabilities to, to learn each user's way of drawing that symbol. So then later on, when they start playing the actual game, Simon draws, uh, Simon can correctly identify each drawing that they make and label it to a specific symbol. Oh, that's great. Was this your first time playing with um, CoreML and machine learning? Uh, it, it was actually my first time playing with on-device machine learning, which I think it was a feature introduced at WWDC in 2019. But I, I was dabbling before with CoreML, but never actually made something fully fleshed. And I... I was so surprised that I could just go through the Apple Apple developers' documentation and sample projects that they have, and then in the span of a week, make something fully functional that can be presented. That's great. And so what would you say was the biggest challenge in building this project? Uh, when I started my playground, uh, I was using Swift. And back then, Swift was just announced. I was using the first version of of Swift UI, oh, Swift UI, not Swift. So I was oh, using the first version of Swift UI, and there are a couple couple animation bugs that could that that were relatively easily fixed. But the biggest problem was that back then there are no state object property wrapper. The only way I could use uh, class models was by using the observed object property wrapper. And for people that don't really know how SwiftUI works, is that uh, observed objects are uh, directly linked to the lifecycle of a view. So 
if a view would get destroyed and then recreated, then also my, my model for that view would get reinitialized and lose all its data. And because of these early limitations of SwiftUI, halfway through my playground, playground, I realized that the way I've written my app is not going to work. So I had to spend like two days just rewriting everything and re-architecting my app so I could pass down all the states down the hierarchy and make everything work. Oh, that's, that's yeah, data flow in SwiftUI is one of its biggest challenge, right? Right now with SwiftUI 2, it, it's so much nicer because you have the new state object property wrapper that lives independent of uh, of a view. So you can just initialize your, your model in a state object property and it's always going to live there and never get destroyed. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear that. Yeah, these improvements that they make every year are making like things easier, right? Yeah. So you went with um, SwiftUI to build your project. And I want to, to ask you about your Swift learning experience along the way. Like, how did you start learning Swift and how did you evolve that learning? So it was around the beginning of 2018 when I started using quite a lot of apps on my phone and especially apps made by indie developers. So I use this, it's like, I don't really have a specific name in my mind, but I use some productivity tools, uh, utility tools. One that I still use to this day is Things Free. And one thing that I really liked about them is that they had these little nice touches, animations, and seamless transitions that would always put a smile on my face. So when I realized, at that moment, I realized that I wanted to, to make similar apps and get into mobile development in the IS world. So what I, what I did, I started by the year by taking Stanford's infamous uh, IS development course. And I did that for like two months. And by that point, I had a decent foundation but I didn't have any any practice or real-world experience. And around that time, I also heard about uh, .wdc and their, the, the scholarships that Apple does. And I started looking into it. And finally enough, enough, right after I heard about it, like two weeks later, they announced the, the requirements and rules for that year's submission. So I thought that was the best way to, to put into practice what I've learned throughout the past two months uh, into a real world, into a project that I could submit and be, get it reviewed. And at that moment, I also realized that the best way I'm learning is by, by, by actually building and making mistakes. Because until that point, I would just follow tutorials or follow lessons and maybe do a couple challenges along the way. But I, I, did, I wasn't really practicing my skill. And at that moment, I realized that the best way of learning is by doing basically project-based learning. And I, I submitted my playground. It, it, it was quite rough, but I, I got it fully working. I added some nice animation details that I worked very hard on them. And, and then I was lucky enough to get accepted and once I got accepted, I went to California. And that was the first time I went to WC in person and any conference of this kind. 
So it, it was a groundbreaking experience for me. The, the memories, the people I've met, to this day, I still have friends that I met during that week. And that, I'd say that was a, a keystone moment in my life because it, it changed a lot of things on how I approach problems and how, how, how what's my perspective. And from there, it's basically, I, I just started working on more projects. I got a couple freelance jobs. I even published uh, my own app on the App Store. That's so cool. That's great timing, learning about the scholarship in 2018. And, and then participating and what, winning and traveling, it must be a life-changing experience, as, as you said. Well, this project in 2018 must have been built with UIKit. Yeah, yeah, that is correct. Uh, back then, I used UIKit and Core Animation. I think I made like a really simple memory game where you'd have these sort of cards with emojis and you'd click on a you click on a card to reveal it, and you could reveal two cards at the same time. And the idea was that you had to match them. And I I spent a lot of time. I remember spending a lot of time making these cool three D effects when you'd flip a card. It would literally look like it was flipped in real life. It had sort of a nice parallax feel to it. And then I also I literally had that much experience with UI Kid. So I wanted my playground to be highly customizable and add, uh, uh, add like ways you could change the interface, uh, change the emojis that you would play with. So I created this sort of uh, public API that uh, people could play around with it in the playground and then the, the, run, the, the, the build would change on the right as you'd play around with my public API. Oh, that's so cool. Like giving people who use the playground a chance to change things about the cards and all of that. Yeah, exactly. Because one of the cool things about playgrounds is that they have this live feature where you have the code on the left-hand side and then the output on the right-hand side. So you could literally just toggle a property or like the an enum case and it would be reflected on the output instantly. That's awesome. And did you find it hard to to use playgrounds and to build playgrounds? Mm, I would say it's definitely n not easy and it's quite a rough journey because most of the tutorials that you can find out there, at least at the time being in 2018, were how to make an iOS app. And when you're making an iOS app, you already have some boilerplate code, like uh, the app delegates and then the storyboard that kind of gets you gets you started. But the problem when you when you make a playground, especially when you, in 2018 when I was making a playground on my Mac, uh, I have to like hard code all those constraints on my view because there is no default view like there is on a simulator like an iPhone screen. And I, I was so bad at making programmatic constraints that uh, I was trying to I was recently trying to run the same playground again. And I think because my width and my sizes are clashing with each other, the my playground just just cra just crashes. So that's a bit unfortunate. I cannot relieve my playground from two years ago. But on the plus side, with all the new improvements that Apple has made in their frameworks, like Swift UI, it makes it really easy to get started with play playgrounds. 
that's great. You notice it was easier to build a playground this year using Swift UI than in 2018. Yeah. That's great. And when did your journey with Swift UI begin? Was it like as soon as it was revealed in WWDC 19? Or did you wait a few months to start playing with it? I did watch WWDC 2019, but I wasn't actively engaged. I was more of a passive looker. Back then, I was I had a, my priorities were a bit shifted. I was more focused on my robotics club from school as part of a first tech challenge team during high school. So I, I, I kind of took a break for around eight months from IS development. And then at the beginning of 2020, basically one year ago, I, I wanted to make a, an FTC scorer app. So in robotics, when you go to a competition, you have to scout what, what uh, other robots' performance is. So I wanted to make a simple app that could uh, keep track of other robots' performances and you could literally log what a robot did during the span of a game and how much points it scored. And when, when I started thinking about the idea and how I'd build it, that's when I realized that it's the time to move on from UIKit and build it with SwiftUI. And surprisingly, it took me like around a week to get my MVP going and working, ready for test flight. And then I just polished it for like two more weeks and got it on the App Store. And I, I was really happy with the end result. And, and I, I was completely blown away between the difference of imperative programming and then declarative programming in Swift UI, where, where all the states are already managed for you and you don't have to make sure that they're in sync. And just the fact that you can like create all, all those little animations and modifiers and it's so easy. That's so cool, starting with CPUI and the speed that CPUI bring us to development. And, well, like having an app ready for app, for an app store in three weeks is awesome. Yeah, I, I was so amazed by the process that I actually ended up open sourcing my app and kind of sharing my journey of how I learned SwiftUI and made this app. Oh, that's so cool. We'll share the link in the description to the GitHub, I assume, of the open source app. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, the project was named, uh, the codename was Scorer, but the official app name on the app store was FTC Scorekeeper. Great, that's awesome. Okay, I want to focus now on the WWDC and the WWDC scholarship. And I want to ask you if you have any tips for students that maybe here in the podcast and preparing to participate in this year's scholarship. Mm. Okay, so I have mainly three big tips here. The first one is that I'd say one of the most crucial things in a project is the idea that you pick, but also how you pick this idea. And one common problem that I've seen with other students is that they go uh, back in the past and look uh, some of Apple's sessions, like look at all those shiny and cool new frameworks and APIs that they have released. And then based from this solution, they try to implement it somehow in their project or like find an idea that matches whatever they have uh, announced. And while this works works for some of the times, the, the there's a small mindset problem 
because you're basically finding a solution and then looking for a problem for that solution. But if you change your perspective a bit and try to, to find a problem that you're generally interested in and then look at Apple's frameworks and see how you could solve that problem with Apple's frameworks, I think it brings uh, it creates a playground that is way better and shows shows your creativity and then your passion in that playground way better since your idea is genuine. Oh, that's that's great advice. Yeah, leveraging the frameworks to build your ideas and not trying to mold your ideas to the frameworks that Apple give us. Yeah, and then. My second tip is based around a term called MVP, which stands for most viable product. And what I mean by this is that when you first have an idea, you usually have sort of a rough plan of what you wanna what you wanna build. But as you're gonna start working on that project, you're quick, quickly gonna realize that more and more ideas are gonna come to your mind. Like let's say let's add this seamless transition between these two views, or like let's try to add some confetti for celebration at the end of the game. And you're really going to get bogged down in all of these ideas that come to you. So one thing that I like to do is that I try to create a scope down version of my project that I can build in the span of a couple of days. And then from there, I try to expand it. So for example, in my case, when I was building Simon Tross, my my MVP project that I built in like two days was literally a big black canvas that uh, that you could draw on, and then you would draw uh, three uh, three times a shape, and the fourth time you would draw a shape, it would tell you if it's the same shape or not. Basically, recognize it. And by doing this MVP project, I, I accomplished a couple of things. I, I managed to to integrate Pencil Kit into Swift UI using UIView Representable, which I didn't know if I could do it or not. And I also managed to implement my my on-device machine learning model. And then after I got this very scoped down idea working, I, I started adding my, my game engine. I started adding animations, transitions, and so on, actually making it a fully-fledged playground. But by just changing the way I started my project, I made sure that I'm on the right path and I'm focusing on things that are most important and bring the most value to my project. Oh, that's a, such a good way to prioritize like the different parts and aspects of a project, focusing on the, yeah, as you say, important and viable parts, and then looking at the transitions and animations. Yeah, exactly. Swift UI makes it kind of easy to start like wandering off and start like adding effects and transitions and animations and all of this modifiers and things and maybe you can get lost in that part and not finish your project oh yeah definitely in swift yeah you can literally just say that offset 50 points on y-axis and then that animation with your spring curve and that's how easy it is to make an animation and you, you can get lost so easily into these minor things there, there this is what i call attention to detail and don't get me wrong it's very important but it's important once you get the main functionality working. And then segueing into my last tip, uh, my last tip is about putting emphasis on essays. Because while, yeah, for, 
part of your submission is the playground, and playground is gonna bring the most attention to to people. Your submission is gonna it's not gonna be reviewed solely on the playground. You have to submit like three or four essays, uh, and those essays are probably gonna be reviewed by a couple Apple employees and see how well you did on them. And how how I like to look at those essays is I try to I have this analogy between iPhones and Apple's keynotes. So imagine that the playground is uh, is a product like an iPhone that gets released uh, every year on September. And, and the thing is that the iPhone wouldn't be really that spectacular, wouldn't attract that many eyes without Apple's keynotes. Because a keynote really shows uh, a- Apple's story on how the iPhone became to be the iPhone their their technical innovations, their groundbreaking features. And really, an iPhone cannot be without a keynote. And the same thing goes with your submission. You cannot just make a playground and completely ignore the the essays. Like If you truly care about the idea that you're making your playground, then you're also going to care about the the story that you, you're going to tell in your essays. That's some great tips, like all of them. Um, yeah like a, a good way to to choose what you what you focus and with which features and which parts of the submission and yeah the essays are like most often left side and for the last minute less, the last hour of the submission but yeah they have an important role on the on the submission process right yeah that's some cool yeah that's some great tips so why don't we talk now about the different WWDCs? I want to know first which was your favorite feature of WWDC 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'd say definitely uh, widgets and widget kit. Uh, so when that WWDC happens, in Romania, it's usually 8 p.m. when the keynote start. And then by the time State of the Union starts, by the time State of the Union ends, it's usually 4 a.m. in the morning. And I remember last year, after State of the Union finished, I, I was on my phone and my computer trying to install all the new betas at 5 a.m. in the morning. And I actually just spent the next five, six hours until I passed down playing with widgets, try, trying to create my own, seeing, seeing how, how they work. I had so much fun. I would say there's also some other notable features. I'm really interested in all the new things that Vision brings with their body and hand pose recognition. Uh, I was looking into this like two years ago, trying to, to implement a hand pose recognition with some open source machine learning models, but it would nev- never really work that well. So now I'm really excited to try them out. And maybe I'm gonna make a product someday with them. And then probably the the coolest and goofiest thing is the create ML style transfer, where you can literally just take a painting or a drawing and then transfer that style to a live video camera. Oh, is that like built into an an ML framework now? Yeah, it's built into create ML. So how it works is that you have to give it um, a style image, which usually it would be like a painting or a drawing, a very colorful drawing. 
and then you give it uh, a data set for training and it, it will learn over, over time how to transfer the style from that painting into an image. And the same thing can also be applied from an, instead of an image, you'd apply it to, to a video. And so you can train your own model using CreateML and then import it into a IS app with CoreML. And while I was actually playing around a couple of days ago, I would, I'd, I'd pre-trained my own model and then I would apply it to a live camera feed. So I was basically augmenting the life around me. It's very fun. That sounds so cool. Um, it's it's awesome just to see the all the improvements and the new features and models and things that Apple brings to the ML frameworks. And it's definitely growing every year and getting better and more awesome. Yeah, I'm really grateful for Apple taking this path where they try to to, to make these low-level technologies very, very easy to adopt. Because normally, if you want to implement this yourself, you need a pretty good understanding in machine learning and data science to create your own model and then train it. But in this case, they already Apple already created their own model, and they provided you a very friendly interface where you could train that model and make it behave the way you want. Yeah, that's so cool, bringing more people into the ML world. Like you, you don't need to, to start learning data science and all kind of math and, thing, and things. Like you can use this, these features and make awesome apps and ML. Yeah, exactly. That's great. And building upon that, um, do you have any kind of prediction or wish list for this year's WWDC? Um, well, I say I'm a simple man. I just want a more polished version of SwiftUI. C currently, SwiftUI on iOS and iPad is decent. You can make some really good apps, but it's not really at the level on macOS where you can make production level apps. It still has some rough edges, couple bugs here and there. And I, I really like, I, I don't really want necessarily more features to SwiftUI added. I just want all these rough edges to be polished and ironed out. And then in terms of speculations, uh, I found it very interesting that last year, uh, there were no, I'm pretty sure there was no session on reality kit, which is Apple's new, new 3D and AR framework. Uh, the, and the thing is that I, I think what, what happened internally is just my speculation, so take it with a grain of salt. Two years ago, when SwiftUI was announced, at the same time, RealityKit was announced. And I think these two teams were working independently. And once uh, everybody inside Apple got on board on the same page, they, they realized that RealityKit should actually be a functional programming framework instead of uh, the declarative way it has been written before. So uh, I think they, they started refactoring their own their own. Uh, framework, so it could be very easily integrated with SwiftUI in future versions. So they decided to take a, to skip a year for WDC last year. And then I think this year they're going to have some huge announcements in terms of reality and SwiftUI and how they blend together really nicely. Oh, that, those are good, very good predictions. Um, yeah, we see SwiftUI evolving the last two years and it definitely will keep getting better 
Um, and yeah, we might get, I can call it like an S ear, like with the iPhones for Swift UI, where we polish up, where they fix the bugs and make it a, very, a more polished version with, with the current features we have. And yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. And yeah, and we are seeing Apple like putting a lot of attention in Swift UI. Yeah, like we see with Combine and other frameworks that work well with Swift UI. And we may see, like you said, a reality kit integration with Swift UI and the declarative programming. Definitely. I think Apple's at a really interesting point because they have this new, new, new UI library and they have to start making. Uh, those internal decisions were sh should the new features be implemented in UI kit as well as Swift UI? Should it only be Swift UI? Should we keep trying to add new features to UI kit? And for for now, I think mostly like for for new like table view features, they're probably gonna be added to both UI kit and Swift UI. But for new frameworks, for example, widget kit, we will probably not gonna see a UI kit counterpart. For things that are going to be released at the next WWDC. Oh yeah, it's definitely an interesting position for them, like having to choose like these two frameworks. Uh, we are definitely having Swift UI as the main framework in the future, and they are working towards that, like more frameworks that support or work work well with Swift UI, and yeah, slowly giving it more importance than UIKit. Why don't we finish up talking about any other projects you might be working? Like, what have you been working in the last few weeks and months? Okay, sure. Well, fine that you mentioned that. One thing we haven't talked about, one thing that we haven't talked that has been released at WWC last year was the ability to create Safari web extensions in, using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And... Actually, last weekend, I started working on my own Safari web extension. That's just a simple utility tool that can change the playback rate of HTML videos in your browser. Because I tend to listen a lot to lectures and YouTube videos that I want to just speed up. And while you can do that by going into the bottom toolbar on the right side and click on the settings and then playback change speed, it becomes very tedious to do it on, for every episode every video. So I ended up creating my own my own extension in Safari that literally achieves just that. It's a very simple utility tool. Oh, that sounds so cool. Um, yeah, listening to lectures at two times speed is, is awesome. Like you save so much time, right? Yeah, exactly. Because most of the time there's only a couple chunks in the lesson that are very important to to listen to. And you, I can just listen to the lecture at 2x speed. And then when I feel that there's something important that I have to note down or really pay attention carefully, I can slow it down at the press of a button. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I don't know if it's your case, but in my case, I had like one class last semester where it was like one teacher that spoke like really slow. So I, I think I ended up like getting... I don't think an extension in Chrome or something like that, but I ended up watching the recorded lectures at like three times or four times. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that we have the same exact problem, and I hope that I'm going to make a couple of people happy by 
by making public this extension that you can install in Safari. Oh yeah, for sure. And you said it was using like HTML and JavaScript, like how's the framework or the API for doing that? Uh, so before the last WWDC, when you wanted to make a Safari web extension, Apple had implemented their own their own Apple way of making web extensions. It was basically very similar to iOS apps where you have an app sandbox and then Apple's own library or framework that you could use to create that extension. But the problem with that is that it didn't really get traction and the adoption rate that Apple wanted. And it was painfully hard to make cross-browser extensions because you could literally, you'd have to make a whole new app just for Safari. The same goes if you want to make a uh, app on Windows and then on Mac, you'd need two code bases unless it's a web app. So they they went back to the drawing board and decided that they're they're gonna let developers you use the same way you'd create an extension in other browsers, which is HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Because the little window that pops up when you open an extension is just a, a web view that you can customize any way you want. And by implementing an by Apple by implementing an industry industry wide standard that uh, Mozilla has on their uh, developer uh, page, it made it very easy for developers to create cross platform uh, web extensions that just work really nice between all browsers as long as you make sure that the browser compatibility between them is all right. Oh, that's so cool. Um... Maybe like a weird move for Apple, like moving into a standard and not a proprietary solution. I would say that sometimes it's the right thing to do a custom implementation, but sometimes it just doesn't really make sense. Because in this case, the market for web extensions is it's not that big. It's definitely not on the scale of iOS apps. And while, yeah, it's nice, it's nice to have those privacy privacy uh, values uh, in an app, you can still, Apple can still achieve the same, uh, the same privacy with the, a normal web extension using the plain old HTML, CSS and JavaScript. And they don't really have to go out of their way to make something completely custom that people have to learn. It's basically just a new framework that you have to learn in order to make a small little app that you see in your browser and open like once a week. No, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's like, this is the better way for developers. Um, yeah, as you say, like the proprietary solution is not worth it really. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I think that's that's it for today. Um, thank you very much for coming and for being here in the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay, that's it for today. I hope you have enjoyed it and you learned something. Don't forget to follow the links in the description for Alex's contact info and to try Simon Ross and the open source app. Follow us on your podcast player of choice and social media so you get notified when we, when we release a new episode. Give a review and share it with your friends. It really helps a lot. I'm your host, Valentino Cerotti. You can find me on Twitter as at This has been Scholars in the Spotlight and I'll see you in the next episode.